Amen. You can go ahead and take a seat. It was my third year of university. It's my first semester of my third year, and it was crazy. It was the hardest semester I had had as far as course, courses go, and it was my heaviest as well. So the content was hard, but it was also complex. Uh, it, was, it was just heavy, lots of work, lots of projects, and everything on the go. So I had my classes, and I had my homework, which took up the bulk of my time, but I also was playing sports. There were mandatory extracurricular activities that we had to do. Uh, I was working a part-time job. I was volunteering at a cafe on campus. It was just super, super crazy. See, I care a lot about school. I actually love school. I'm a nerd. And one of the things I, I wanted to do and I, I had done is I had my calendar and I had these blocks of time all throughout my calendar that I had designated for certain projects. So at the start of the semester, I'd go through, I'd plan it all out. I'd have, uh, you know, I'd work on this project here, that project here, three hours here, four hours there, and that's how my semester went. But this semester was so busy that before long, it was just, it was just crunching smaller and smaller. The, the time I'd work on my project to the time it was actually due, it was becoming razor thin. See, going into my university experience, I knew it was going to be busy. I knew it was going to be a lot of work. And so one priority I made, I said, I'm going to take a day of rest, a Sabbath rest, every week to do no homework because I knew I would crash and burn if I did not take a day to rest and just declutter my mind and my heart. And so anyways, I was able to do that, and that was a saving grace for me. But this one semester, it was so busy, I'd planned everything out, but I just could not get ahead. And slowly, like I said, the time I was working on these projects and the time it was due, it was slowly creeping closer together. And I hate, I hated to leave projects until the deadline. I hated it. I always loved to get it done in advance. And so this one day in my third year, uh, I had this project uh, for a class called Christian Doctrine. And it was about a project that required four hours of work, maybe. And so uh, it was due on a Friday. And I, my, day, my, my day off that I used, it was a Saturday I used uh, for my day off. And so uh, a couple days before this Friday afternoon, this Friday night, I had worked on this one project, we'll say three hours. About 75% of this project was done. Um, I wish I could have gotten it done then, but I just couldn't. There was too much on the go. I had too many commitments. So it was due, this project was due Friday at midnight. So I had no choice but to finish up the last 25% on the Friday, which I hated doing. I hated riding the deadline until the last minute. And so I, I volunteered that night, I, I worked that night, so I didn't get to this project, I didn't get to finish it, um, I didn't get to visit it until uh, about 11.30 at night. And I'd, I'd got the bulk of it done, I was just finishing up the last touches. And I was exhausted from the week, and so I said, I'm just so ready to take a day off tomorrow and not even think about any of this. So I go to my room, I open up my computer, and I go to look for my Christian Doctrine uh, project, only to discover that it didn't save. And I was so discouraged. I was so tired and exhausted and the three hours that I had completed of this project was gone. And it was 11.30 at night and the project was due at midnight and I just, it was, it was impossible to actually get done. So I haul up my, my email, I'm emailing my professor and I'm just praying that he understands and that he gives me grace. And luckily it was a professor that often does give grace. So thankfully, 
I, I was able to get a deadline, an extension. Uh, my, my deadline was extended. And so um, it was extended until Monday. So I said, perfect, that's all I need. I can, I can crank it out then. But I was just so discouraged and I was so defeated because it wouldn't have been so bad if I wasn't already exhausted and tired already. And so that just felt like a punch in the guts. And so I remember I went to bed that night and I still honored my day of rest because I knew I needed it. But I remember when I woke up on Saturday, I'm thinking to myself, I, I cannot keep doing this. I cannot maintain this pace of deadline to deadline, date to date, day to day with zero margin. I had no margin for if things went wrong like it did. I had no, I had no margin for interruptions. See, I mentioned that I took a day of rest as I was at university about once a week because I knew I needed it. But even with that day of rest, I was still feeling super exhausted because throughout the whole week, I was going full throttle only to slam on the brakes on Saturday. And I ended up sleeping until lunch anyways on Saturday. And by the time I actually got around to rejuvenating and spending time with God and spending time with others, I didn't actually decelerate my mind and my heart, I didn't actually slow down. I just felt numb from the adrenaline rush of the week and finally hitting that Sabbath and feeling exhausted, numb, and unable to kind of shift down a few gears. If you're just joining us for the first, uh, first time in the past couple weeks, we've been journeying through um, our Advent series. And really the, the, the essence of Advent is that it means longing, it means expectation, obviously for the birth of Jesus. And so a few weeks ago, AJ talked about what do we do when we have expectation that is unmet? That we have longings that are not yet realized. What do we even do with that? And then a couple weeks ago, AJ also talked about lament. What part does lament play in the way we process our anger and our disappointment before God? Last week, Dave talked about trust. What does it mean to even trust God when our circumstances are swirling around us? What what does God offer us within trust? And so to finish off our Advent series, we're going to be talking about margin. We're going to talk about margin. What is margin? Margin is a pretty, it's a relatively new term, and we'll get to that, get to why in a second. But when I say the word margin, when I use that word, what I mean is creating space or making room within our day-to-day, within our schedules, within our rhythms of life. Creating margin means creating space for the interruptions, for the breathing room, for us to actually sit down and breathe. It means accepting the limits of our humanity and realizing we cannot go on like robots. So that's what I mean by the word margin. The reason margin is a relatively new term is because humans always have had margin. Throughout history, humans have had margin in their life. So if you open up your Bible and you look for the word margin, you will not find it because when scripture was written, margin was naturally assumed. If you're, if you're a farmer during the time of Jesus, you can only work certain, during certain times of the year. There was margin. But there were really three inventions that robbed us that robbed society of the margin that we had. The first one happened in the year 1370. The first public clock was actually put up in Germany in the year 1370. Seems kind of uneventful, kind of nice, but what does that have to do with margin? Well, before the public clock, people 
had flu- the time was fluid. You woke up when the sun come up, you'd go to bed when the sun went down. But with the public clock, society started to function on a bit of artificial time. And now, rather than just seeing how, where is the sun? Yeah, okay, the sun's coming down, we better finish up now. We started to leverage um, hour blocks, 30-minute blocks, 15-minute blocks. We started to use time as a system, which eventually led to us actually leveraging this system of time for our gain and our agendas. Second invention, 1879. Does that ring a bell? What was invented in 1879? Light bulb. I don't know if anybody said the light bulb, but it was the light bulb. The light bulb was invented in 1879, which of course, along similar lines as the clock, it allowed us to bring productivity into the mornings and into the evenings, where before, we were limited by daylight. And so these spaces, these little portals into actually spending time with God, with ourselves, with others, is slowly being robbed. The margin is slowly thinning out because now, rather than leaving work within the day, we're becoming more efficient, more productive. We're doing things at night. The, the, the task list is coming into the evenings or coming into the mornings because the light bulb is creating an opportunity for that. Do you know before the light bulb was invented, Americans slept, on average, 10 to 11 hours a night? Anybody? 10, 10 or 11 hours? I, I wish I had that. Third invention that really robbed us of our margin, and this one's probably more obvious than any of them, is in 2007 with the invention of the iPhone. And with any margin that we had left, it was slowly all taken away because the little 10-minute increments that you may have used to talk with someone um, or even reflect in prayer is then robbed by the way we spend time on social media. And so rather, when you're picking your kid up from sports or from school or whatever, if you're there 10 minutes early, you're probably on your phone. If I show up to an appointment 10 minutes early, what do I do? I'm probably on my phone. Prior to that, those still would have been little margins, little glimpses into the presence of God or silent prayer or getting to know the person next to you. The speed of life for us has changed from the clock, the light bulb, and the iPhone. And as a result of our margin being robbed, we find ourselves exhausted, tired, and if we're being honest, we're probably quite out of touch what's happening right here. And maybe you've went months and years without having actually taken an inventory of your soul. And you know your mind and your heart is frantic, and it seems like this is the only pace you can maintain if you're actually going to survive and get all the things done and fulfill all your commitments. I had an experience um, a few weeks ago that shows that this even impacts our relationship with God. I had a very frantic day, uh, probably two weeks ago now. It was just super busy, a lot of unexpected interruptions, and I got home that night, and I wanted to spend time in prayer. And so I sat down to pray, and I was about three minutes in, and my mind and my heart was still racing so much from the day that I found myself frustrated after three minutes because I couldn't feel God's presence. I wasn't aware of God's goodness. I was, I was only there for three minutes. And that leads to prayers that we pray, God, where are you? See, the frantic pace that we have in our lives, it does eventually affect our relationship with God as well. We start to treat God the same way we treat our phones when Wi-Fi isn't working. Let alone the time of year that it is, right? It's Christmas. Christmas is literally in a week. And Christmas 
You may have fond memories of Christmas, Christmas as a kid, but now you're probably tired of how exhausting Christmas is. Because you know there's presents you have to buy, there's money that you have to spend, there's meals that you have to make, and there's people that you have to see. And you honestly can't wait till it's all over with. Because you know that maybe after Christmas, I'll actually be able to rest. It's in the air. It's, it's what we really know and have come to know about this season of Christmas. Think about all the, the major movies uh, for Christmas. Think of Elf, all right? Buddy the Elf in the movie Elf, he comes to New York City to meet his biological family. And his father is caught up with work and business and doesn't have the Christmas spirit. Or Home Alone's another great example. Kevin's family actually leaves Kevin home alone because they're so busy and so frantic getting ready for Christmas vacation that they just leave them behind altogether. The Christmas season is no stranger to exhaustion, to busyness, and to speed. If you have your Bibles today, I'm going to ask that you turn to Luke 2. Uh, We're going to have it on the screen as well. Um, Luke 2, verses 8 to 20. This is a very typical uh, Advent passage. This is maybe something you read as a family on Christmas Eve or Christmas. It's just straight up the birth of Jesus. That's exactly what's happening in this passage. So I'm going to read this whole passage, but we're going to come back to it and highlight one verse in particular. Luke 2, starting in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And an angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as had been told them. Now, obviously, we, we think about this passage. We think it's kind of warm and fuzzy. Oh, we read about baby Jesus at Christmas. What we don't realize is the context to these, this, this passage, there is more chaos happening here than we realize. First off, you have, at a, at a larger scale, as Dave touched on a little bit last week, you have the political implications. You have the Roman Empire who is ruling over the Jewish people. And so there was, there was oppression, there were uproars, there was riots let alone the, the factions, the, the division within the synagogues, the, the Jewish religion. It was chaotic. There was uncertainty. Within the Roman Empire as a whole, there were all kinds of different walks of life, and they were clashing. And the Jewish people, even earlier than the Roman Empire, are being passed from one people group to the next to the next, not having a ruler of their own for many years. 
It was chaotic. It was uncertain. And if you were a Jew in that time, you were asking the question, when is the Messiah coming? Because we can only handle so much of this chaos. So you have the the chaos at at a cultural level, but you also have chaos in Mary's life. It's almost universally agreed upon that Mary was a teenager when she conceived and birthed Jesus. So imagine trying to be a teenage girl explaining to your fiancé that you have been faithful despite the fact that you're pregnant. Now thankfully an angel did reveal themselves to Joseph and explained the whole scenario. But even if you are married and you're pregnant and you're not yet married, you're facing disgrace, you're facing, facing shame from the people you walk by on the streets, maybe your own family, she would have struggled. What's the future even look like? What's, I don't even know what's going to happen next. Do I have the courage to actually be the person I need to be in God's plan for my life? In a couple years, uh, the political authority would actually set out um, a rule to actually kill all the male uh, Jewish babies less than two years old because the political authority had heard about the birth of Jesus. And so Mary and Joseph have to flee to Egypt with a one or two-year-old and be refugees in a country that is not of their own. There's chaos. Mary doesn't know what comes next. There's no denying that it's chaotic, it's uncertain. Even though we look at this story as simple and nice and warm and Christmassy. But there's one verse that, I, it's, ever since I've been prepping for, for today, it has stood out to me over and over and over. It's verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, pondering them in her heart. See, this whole passage, you have and, 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 and the shepherds, and the angels, and this, and that, and that. But is the word that's used here. It's all and, 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 but there's a contrast here because it says, but Mary treasured up all these things. So we have to ask the question, why, why would the Bible actually put this here? Why does it matter that Mary treasured up all these things in her heart? She pondered these things. In the midst of the chaos, we have to assume that she had time and emotional bandwidth to actually contemplate what was happening before her eyes, which was significant. It's the birth of Jesus. You have to assume that right here, Mary is taking an inner inventory on her soul and is able to cherish these things in her heart as treasures. And so here's the observation I want us to really camp out on today. We fight the chaos of the world by God-filled margin. We fight the chaos of our world through God-filled margin. I brought a little prop with me today, just to shake things up a little bit. I have a snow globe here. And this is what I mean by fighting the chaos of the world through God-filled margin. See, If you're always on the go and you're always going from one thing to the next and you're going at such a frantic pace that you don't know if you can keep up and you have no margin, you can't even remember the last time you were aware of what was happening inside your heart. And maybe you do feel a little numb and maybe it is amplified a little bit by the Christmas season. 
And the more we are in constant motion, all we're going to see is the snowstorm that blinds us from seeing anything beyond our little globe, our little world. And you may even forget what exists beyond the snowstorm. You may be disoriented, confused. And if you're in motion long enough, you may just lose touch with even who you are because all you see is the blinding white snowstorm around you. But if we sit in the presence of God, if we accept our God-given limitations, if we stay still in his presence and enjoy the slowness of time with him, if we have margin to spend with God and with other people for God to invade, for God to infiltrate, all of a sudden the snowstorm starts to slow down and it starts to settle a little bit. And before long, you may start to see yourself again. You'll see the world more clearly, the culture that we live in, the problems that we face. And you'll see beyond the snowstorm, beyond the globe, and see the radiance of God's glory that is waiting for you today. That's what I mean by margin. We fight the chaos of the world by God-filled margin. There's an interesting verse in 1 Thessalonians 4 that says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Isn't that interesting? There's a verse of scripture that says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And like I said earlier, what a contrast that is to the Christmas season. Like I said, the family, the gifts, the money, you name it. We're no stranger to it. What a contrast God-filled margin is to the chaos that we're all probably feeling at least a little bit. One author put it this way, and I love this. When we repress what is real in our life and just keep soldiering on, we get weary from holding it in. And eventually it leaks out in ways that are damaging to ourselves and to others. But on retreat or in the margin, in the quiet places, there is time and space to attend to what is real in my own life, to celebrate the joys, grieve the losses, shed the tears, sit with the questions, feel my anger, attend to my loneliness, and allow God to be with me in those places. I love that last part, to allow God to be with me in those places. Because this is not some self-help strategy. This is not, you know, if you just take more time, if you take more me time, then all of your problems will slowly unravel. We're actually, we create margin. Margin is the means, not the end. We need to create margin in our lives so that God can meet us in those places. We have nothing to offer ourselves in the quiet place. It's when God shows up and God brings restoration and God brings the healing that we know we need and we long for. So now what? Kind of nice. We like the idea of, of margin. Nobody's arguing whether we should actually have it or not. But how do we actually practice it? What are some practices we can actually embrace for this? There's three things that I found helpful for myself. The first one, is solitude. It's the practice of solitude. Being by yourself, with no one else around, just you and God, to pray the honest prayers that you probably have been suppressing for a long time. 
It means going to a cottage or a trailer or having a quiet space in your house, if that even exists for you. It means going in the woods, going for a walk on the beach. Props to Dave for, uh, he said he practiced the, the, the practice of lament, going for a walk on the beach here in December. There's so many ways that we can actually practice solitude. But yes, it takes intentionality. Yes, it takes commitment. See, I mentioned earlier uh, about my experience at university and taking my day of rest. And one of the things I knew I had to do is I had to actually spend time in solitude. I'd have these places all around campus that I know I could go to just to be by myself. Some were trails in the woods. Some were just kind of crevices in the, ch- in the prayer chapels. But I had to go in the woods so I could be with God. And every time I would walk into the woods, it just felt like the chaos of the world and my own life just was behind me. It was just me and God for me to pray as I please and for him to meet me there. Even since I've been living in Yarmouth, I have these places all around town that I will actually go to on my day off, just to be by myself. And I love going for, walk, for walks in the woods because I know that there's a privacy that I can enjoy with God. So if you have pictures of me on your deer camera, I apologize. You know why. But it means creating space for God to fill. Second practice is journaling. You may scoff that off, like, oh, okay, like, that doesn't really interest me. The value in journaling is that it actually slows our minds and our hearts down so that our hand can actually keep up with it. It actually forces us to process externally of ourselves on paper what we're actually thinking and feeling and going through. And the criticism of journaling is, well, I just, I can't keep up. Like, my, my, I just can't stay engaged because my mind's going so quickly. But that's the point. We need to slow our minds down. We need to process things and even write out prayers. It's just one of the ways that we can actually create space for God to fill. Even as you, as you look through church history, a lot of the giants of our faith, we know so much about them because they kept journals. We know a lot about John Wesley because he kept a journal. They processed things. They recorded things before God. The third and last practice I would recommend, this sounds like an easy one, but it's harder than we all realize, is go a day or maybe even go a week without your phone. Go a day? Yeah. A little bit of a groan there. Maybe even start small. Go half a day. But if you're anything like me, and I choose to go a day without my phone, and my phone's in a drawer somewhere, and I'm on the couch, and instinctively, I grab my pocket and realize that it's not there. And that's when I'm like, ooh, maybe it is an issue. Maybe it does rob me of more margin than I realize. But again, these are simply the means. Margin will mean nothing if we do not show up to meet with God. And that is his invitation for us even today. These are things that you can do this week, this month, over Christmas. But don't dismiss the fact that you showed up for church today. And right now, you've already created margin for God to fill. This is a space. We don't just show up here because we think it's the right thing to do. That may be a factor. But we show up because we are saying to God, God, I believe you have a word for me. I believe you want to speak to me. 
I believe that you want to meet me in whatever I'm facing, and I'm here today. So as we sing this closing song, be honest with God, be honest with yourself, because God may just meet you in the margin, in the secret place, in the deep recesses of who you are.